Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucksters? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. Is it your first time here? I doubt it. What's happening? Is everything all right? I'm going to talk to uh, Paul Walter Hauser today. Yeah, the guy who is the lead in the new uh, Clint Eastwood film, Richard Jewell. And uh, he's quite good in it. I like the guy. I like the guy a lot. I liked him in uh, I, Tanya is where I first really noticed him. And I was just very impressed with the humanity he brought to such a, there's a, a, a wonderful buffoonery to the, uh, the way his characters take themselves so seriously. But this is a, it's not, I'd say it's kind of a heavy movie, but it's pretty great. And he, he carries the film pretty fucking well. And he's a big fan of WTF, it turns out. And we had a nice conversation. So that's coming up. Enjoy that. Uh, another thing. It's been a while now since there have been WTF cat mugs for sale. These are the handmade ceramic mugs I give to all my guests. Our friend Brian Jones makes them. He makes them. He's a potter. He's, I think, I don't know where he ended up. I think he's still in, he might be in upstate New York somewhere, but you can get them. Like I get these mysterious boxes of these mugs every few months, but he's now made some available to the general public again. You can go to brianrjones.com slash shop starting at noon today. Today being Thursday, the 12th. These are always unique mugs because they're all, each one is handmade and he always alters the design a bit. I don't even know what these ones look like, but they're going to be available today and they go quickly and they're a hell of an original uh, gift. So brianrjones.com slash shop noon today for the new WTF cap mugs. Also, tickets for my 2020 tour dates will be on sale to the general public tomorrow, December 13th at 10 a.m., wherever you are. It's just wherever you are at 10 a.m. But the pre-sale is still going on now if you want to go to the venue's websites and use the password Buster. And those venues are... I'll be uh, Thursday, January 30th, Cleveland, Ohio, at the Agora Theater. Friday, January 31st, Grand Rapids, Michigan, at the Fountain Street Church. Saturday, February 1st, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, at the Turner Hall Ballroom. Friday, February 14th, Orlando, Florida, at Hard Rock Live. I think that password is actually Marin. Saturday, February 15th, Tampa, Florida, at the Straz. Going to be at the Straz. 
Stras Center, Thursday, February 20th, Portland, Maine at the State Theater. Thursday, February 21st, Providence, Rhode Island at the Columbus Theater. Friday, February 22nd in New Haven, Connecticut at College Street Music Hall. And Sunday, February 23rd, Huntington, New York at the Paramount. Go to WTFPod.com slash tour for links to all the venues. And all of them, I believe, except Orlando. The pre-sale code is BUSTER. Orlando, it's Marin. Uh, it's a very odd thing. I have a lot of good things going on in my life. There's a lot of uh, horrible things going on in the world. But I guess that's every day, everywhere, not just the world, maybe across the street. But it's very weird what I sort of hang on to. You, you know, it's weird what I hang on to in terms of what am I trying to say here? I've, I've got to fly. I'm going tomorrow. I'm going to shoot uh, a few scenes in the Aretha movie. The, the shooting for Respect, the Aretha Franklin biopic I'm in, uh, on my part of it starts uh, on Monday in Atlanta, so I'm flying out there. It's very exciting. I've done a lot of work on, on, the, on, the, on the scenes. And, uh, you know, there's just good things going on. I don't, I don't love to travel that much, but I do it. It's part of my job. But with all the exciting things going on in my life, I, I got to be honest with you, I'm just now getting over my feelings of excitement and um, elation almost, I would say about something that happened last week, like last, I think it was last Friday. I'm not sure I told you about it, but I don't know where you live, but here in California, you have uh, bins, you have your um, garbage bin, you have your recycle bin, and then you have your uh, leaves and uh, for grass and stuff that bin but you have bins, right? And I've taken it upon, I've, I started to, I use all pine pellet uh, cat litter because I think it's more healthy for the cat and you change it more often. And I throw it out in the bin where you throw away leaves and stuff, right? Because it's just wood, it's just, it, it goes with the other, whatever, it doesn't matter. So here's the crux of it is that over the years, I've been in this house a couple of years now and my bins, all of them, have gotten pretty disgusting. Uh, they just get gunk on them, spider webs, goop, glop, things, you know, that like stick on it, weird sludge. It's just over time, the inside of your bins can get pretty fucking nasty. And I knew it was happening. We all know when our bins are getting nasty, you know, both inside and outside. I'm talking about our inner bins. Look inside yourself. Maybe it's time to clean your bins in there. Huh? Clean out your bins. Well, that's what I'm getting to. I just like all of a sudden I'm like, fuck it. It's enough is enough. And after they picked up all the garbage, I uh, I got the hose out and I wheeled it out in front of the house and I just, I washed the shit out of them. I put it on jet and I cleaned out all the sludge and I dumped the sludge into the gutter and uh, I just cleaned out the bins and I can't stop thinking about it. I think I've achieved an amazing thing. I think that like there's some part of me that feels like I should be rewarded. I get weirdly proud even when I, I, I fold my shirts out of the dryer. But this bin thing, that was a couple years coming and, and it was just so satisfying. I can't, I can't stop thinking about it. Like, look, I didn't get a Golden Globe nomination, no SAG award nominations for any. I'm never going to win an award. But 
every year I think around this time I'm going to clean my bins because I think it's a better feeling, to be honest with you. Because it's just between me and myself and God, you know, that I've cleaned the bins and now you. But I'm just saying that if you wait and then you clean your bins, it's, uh, it's a pretty great feeling. But now I'm thinking more in terms of the inner bins. How's my inner compost? Is that, does it, do I need to use that? Do I need to spread that around and uh, grow some better things inside of me? Maybe I do. Maybe I do, folks. My bins are clean. So, all right, people. Thank you for all the emails about my cat and how you handled your cat's passing or putting your cat down. But here's what I did. I thought I really thought I was going to have to put her down before I leave because I'm going to be away now for a week. People are going to stay at my house. You have to deal with this, and it makes me sad, but I can't just put my cat down because it's convenient for me. If she's going to live, she's going to live. At least there'll be people in the house. But I called a couple places that come over and put the pets down and asked them some questions about you know how she's behaving. I think she's going a little senile. She seems to be a bit confused and disoriented. Sometimes she'll just start talking or howling, but not in pain, just, I don't know, she just kind of lost and uh, she got very excited about the toilet. I've never seen that happen. She's been drinking a lot of water. It's just a kidney thing, man. And I just really wanted to be around either for her passing or to transition her into death. And now I got to go away and it's going to be hanging over me. It's very anxiety um, causing and sad. But like I said, she's still here. She's still accepting love. She's still... Kind of, it's kind of interesting, you know, and I guess it's not unlike humans, uh, which I have not had to deal with, but um, in this level, but uh, she is definitely not the same cat that she once was, and she not at all. I mean, she's several pounds lighter, number one. She's got no fight in her, and she she can't resist, you know, like she, she's fragile. I mean, this cat was a little fucking fireball of fury i mean she would pop you with her paw she would snap you with her mouth she was very unpredictable uh she she liked love but then you know if she you gave her too much she'd fucking pop you you know we had a lot in common but now she's sort of odd and 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 slow and you know uh spacey and a, a little confused and weak and very soft and fragile and uh loving it's a whole different cat, and it's sort of interesting to, and nice to uh, experience her like that. It's sad, but um, but instead of I'm trying to sort of focus on it not being so tragic as it is, kind of the transition, and just appreciating this this cat that was just a kind of a terror for a lot of years. She got a little nicer as she got older, but now she's just kind of loopy and fragile. And uh, it's a whole different uh, type of uh, cuteness, I'll tell you that. But but nonetheless, again, thank you for all of the uh, advice and sharing your stories, and also sharing, you know, some of the uh, the places I called, who come, the vets that come to uh, to do the euthanizing, and I talked to them about where she's at and how do I make the decision, and they were very helpful. Both of the names of these places in my area. Uh, were sent to me by listeners, and I appreciate that. I really do. You, you know, it, it, it's. I'll keep you in the loop here, but it looks like, you know, I, I'm going to be going away without without uh, without uh, putting her down because it's not time, I guess. 
Unless tomorrow she just, I don't know. Well, I, uh, it's just every day, the projecting, you know, you just spend so much time focusing on these cats when they're sick. I do it when they're not sick. Like I'll look at a cat long enough. I'm like, there's not, something's not right. Maybe I ought to bring her in, bring him in, whatever. But I'm just kind of obsessed and that's got to be a lot of stress on her. I really, it was weird. The other night, I, um, I, I pretty much like the two days ago, she was out of it and like just not well. And it was just sad. And it was, and I like, I went to sleep that night kind of getting resolve around it, around putting her down the next day. Like I, I sort of let go and accepted that I'm going to have to do it the next day. And the next day she just was zippy and running around. They pick it up, man. She knows, man. She knew. She read my mind. She felt the vibe. She felt me let her go. She felt me make a decision. And she realized, fuck, that's me he's talking about. I'm the one going down. I'm the one he's thinking about letting go. I'm going to I'm gonna perk up. So for the last couple of days, she's been not her old self, certainly, but up and about, drinking a lot of water, talking a lot. She felt it, man. They got the telepathy. So this guy, Hauser, Paul Walter Hauser, does a beautiful job in this movie, uh, Richard Jewell. It's a uh, Clint Eastwood movie. And I, I remember I complimented him on Twitter uh, for his, his work in uh, I, Tanya, which I thought was great. He really stood out to me. There's just something about him. And and then I really, and then he, I think he got back to me, or at least he told me in this conversation that he was a fan of the show and it meant a lot to him. So it was very exciting for both of us to have this conversation about work, food, Jesus, um, and a lot of stuff. <laughs> is there anything else for some people? But uh, this is me talking to Paul Walter Hauser, and the film Richard Jewell opens nationwide tomorrow, December thirteenth, and he. He carries the movie. He is the movie. Uh, he's the lead, and Sam Rockwell is right there with him. And uh, guy's a nice guy. This is me talking to uh, to Paul. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get Get your podcasts. There's this verse in the Bible, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked, which is huh. kind of a big thing to say, but I actually use that verse when I think about great material, because I really would rather have a tiny part in something dope. Oh, yeah. Than, like, work and be the lead in something I wouldn't even want to pay to see. 
Well, that seems Jimmy like, Smith was one of those things where I'm like, oh, I'm so psyched just to be here. I, I assume that whoever created the show is probably flattered that you would take such a lofty biblical verse that has such <laughs> profound connotations to apply it to doing a small part you know what? on their show. I'm not a very learned human being, so I, I have to use things that I know. I know I know the Bible. I know food. You I know, know the, pro wrestling. I'm kind of a, I'm a bit of a Neanderthal. Oddly, you know, the Bible and pro wrestling will give you everything you need to get through life. Absolutely. Tag out. Yeah. Tag a, out. That's uh, God. I need you. I need you in here, man. Yeah. You got to run the ropes for me. Acting chops, understanding good and evil, understanding uh, 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 orchestrated uh, uh, presentations. And yep. then the Bible, you know. You can just sort of, uh, if you've got you've got it all under all the Bible in, like New Testament and Old Testament. Or I've, what? I've, I mean, I mean, I'm not one of those people who can throw out every verse and as a savant with it, but I, I've read it twice all the way through. It took me a long time in your life. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I did it like in a way where you're like reading it every day. Yeah, recently, but there were within the last five years. I'd say the last five or six years, Was I read the, the second Bible time? twice all the way. Through. Oh, oh, really? I'm on my third time, and I'm 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 having a lot of hiccups. I'm having trouble getting back into it. Why? You it's busy? Just that thing of um, it's like <laughs> no, it's that thing of um, being distracted. I think I'm in the most distracted phase of my life right now, based on social media, having some career success, not living at my apartment. I basically live in a suitcase based on my schedule right now, which is... Really? Because you're shooting so much stuff? Yeah. But that would is... seem like a nice time to read the Bible. You know, you just sort of... And it has been. I was. I did a movie in Thailand, and I was sober for... Oh, man. I was sober for 10 months from pot and alcohol. I just really wanted to clean myself up clean a little out? bit. Did you stay clean of it? I did. And then I now now I'm in a place of moderation where I'm not like yeah I, I I'm with, not lying to myself with put it both? that way with, with both, both. Yeah, yeah yeah I like to occasionally just yeah, in the morning I just just before <laughs> just before I go talk to the National Board of Review at a Q and A no yeah. I'm being silly I I just think it's you know I I was sober for ten months yeah. and and that fell during a shoot in Thailand for a Spike Lee film and I I did that back in March and April oh okay and that movie. I, I didn't have a huge part. What's so, it called? Uh, it's called The Five Bloods. Oh, I like think I a, just read about this. About Vietnam vet story. Yeah, they go back. Yes. How yeah. long after the war? Like this is a modern era thing. It's like uh, it's like takes place in both times, and I can't say too much about it because Spike probably wants it under wraps. But what I can say is it's um, it's just like a friendship story where like the friendships are tested. Yeah. And you know, there's they're sort of bringing up, digging up. The, the bones of the past, you know. Sort of like uh, that movie with uh, with Carell. And, oh, Last uh, Flag Flying. Yeah, yeah. And uh, who else was in that? Larry there? Fish. Fishburne, that's and, right. Uh, and uh, Cranston. Tom? Cranston, that's right. Kind of like that one. Yeah, it's got that vibe, but more the Tarantino, Spike Lee thing where there's a lot of F-bombs and sure. crazy violence. So that's the second stuff. time you work with Spike. He, apparently he likes you. I guess so, yeah. He showed up to my screening of Richard Jewell uh, in New York City the other night, and it, I was really almost moved to tears that the, he showed up. It was Is that crazy. a text you get, I'm coming kind of thing? I just kind of hit him up because I saw, I saw he went to Shia LaBeouf's uh, screening of Honey Boy, his right. new movie. And I'm like, well, I'm buddies with Spike. Maybe he'd go to my movie. So I just I texted <laughs> him and offered it, and he said he'd be there. So That's fucking nice. It was a pretty emotional night. I had my brother Matthew sitting next to me. 
next to him is my manager and close friend, this guy Brian Walsh. Yeah. And then a few seats down, it's Spike and his son in the whole movie. I can hear Spike doing like whispered commentary. And oh, really? Laughing out loud during parts or like. Oh, yeah. Saying, saying stuff like, um, you know, just stuff like, oh, these motherfuckers are going to get it. You know, like yeah, oh, right. totally giving commentary like you would almost like a. So I don't want to say that film. it's stereotyping, but uh, so he talked during the movie. <laughs> Is that what you're telling me? That Spike Lee talked during your movie premiere. You know what? I've talked during a lot of things I shouldn't have talked during. So sure, I'm not. I'm just. I just think it's nice can't. that yeah, sometimes they're just. It's just true. It's just true. Well, and and I hold up to my stereotypes, like Which is? Uh, not you know, be, being from the Midwest and being the size of two people. Yeah, and, uh, believing in both pro wrestling and Jesus Christ, things I can't prove I, as real, but love deeply. Yeah, well, I think yeah. that's a common thing. I and well, I mean. The Bible thing's sort of interesting to me. So you, you, your faith is strong? Uh, yeah, very much so, like in a weird way. Like I probably should have more reservations, but I, I have more reservations about people than I do God, to be perfectly honest. Really? That's comforting to you, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I also, I you know, I, I listen to your pod all the time. You do? And, and uh, yeah, and the, the Danny McBride episode where he oh, talks yeah. about how the church turned on his family because his mom got a divorce. Right. I was never the recipient of that type of church treatment, and I think that sets you up for success in your faith journey. Yeah. If people who are Christians treated you like dog shit, that sucks and never should have happened, and it probably taints the, the experience of the Savior because the congregation wasn't emulating the very thing they protest. So, right. Well, I mean, I just had Tony Hale on. He's pretty strong in the faith department. I've worked with him. I did a movie with him. Yeah. So did you guys we, we talk literally, to we're, we're literally like singing hymns between <laughs> takes and stuff. No joke. <laughs> a little tongue-in-cheek, but we, but no, we both love <laughs> Jesus, man. Yeah. <laughs> you just know. the. You know. So, where does the, uh, so where does the Jesus come in? Is this something you grew up with? Yeah, my dad's a fifth-generation Lutheran uh, pastor. Lutheran. Yeah, Lutheran. That, it's like Catholicism, but if you uh, more give lenient. less of a shit. Right, right. Yeah. It's sort of, uh, it's not un Unitarian, which is, we don't give a shit about anything, right? <laughs> I not, can't speak to that. I'm not, I'm not sure what they believe. No, but Lutheran's a very Midwestern thing. Came over from Scandinavia type of deal. You probably know more about it than I me. Don't. I mean, Martin Luther, I don't. Martin Luther was the dude who... who got pissed back in the day in the 1400s or whatever because people were literally selling forgiveness of sins. They were called indulgences. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people were taxing people for their spiritual relief, right. which is insane. So, you know, Jesus and Martin Luther, the people we really fashioned the faith after, they were radicals. Right. Martin Luther was a dark guy. Yeah. I mean, do some reading on him. You want to, you think I you've feel tortured like, yourself. So I, feel like, I feel like he's an anti-Semite a little bit. Did oh, you, is he? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe I'm wrong. Can I, should I Google oh, it? I've never Martin Luther, anti-Semite. No. <laughs> I mean, it's, he's, it's an old I mean, that's story. already in my Google, I think, somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't what well, anti-semite anti resources i gotta be careful who i i'm always what? i'm the type of person who i'm always yeah i can't be a stand-up comic anymore i started in stand-up comedy in theater yeah and um i just can't i don't think i would survive not because i'm one of these ugly people who's trying to hurt people but i think i have a lot of those those brainstorm joke moments like oh. you just had where it's like you're just joking around but someone could take that yeah and write the next big Internet article about Mark Maron thinks Lutherans are anti-Semitic. Luther successfully campaigned against the Jews in Saxony, Brandenburg, and Silesia. 
Well, so, now let's well let's know the nuance here. What were the Jews doing? He was campaigning against probably just being Jewish. Could have been a dietary thing. I mean, it, we don't know what okay, it was. Okay, okay. Uh, he. Uh, I'm not a, defending. I'm a, just a, a, devil's the, advocate. A little bit. A little. I think you're innately defending, and you should because this is. Your I don't team. know the guy. I'm you're team doing. Jesus. I'm not team Luther. I'm team Jesus. All right. Look, this isn't on you, man. I mean, this is the 1500s. Hey, this listen, is not- anything my my ancestors or your ancestors yeah. did to anyone isn't on us. Period. Right. You know, stuff our parents did isn't on us. No. I mean, it a little bit is. No, it isn't. No, we're not responsible for it, but it might have fucked us up a little. Oh, I didn't say that. I'm that I agree with wholeheartedly. All right, I'll co-author a book with you on that. Um, <laughs> I didn't have a dad who was a minister, fifth generation minister. Yeah, so my, your grandpa was a minister. Yeah, did you was, know him? Was having the family. Yeah, I knew him. He was. Um, you know what I liked about my my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, was that he was he was kind of relaxed. I don't yeah. think he was one of these. I don't know. You know that teacher was like looking for you to do something wrong. Those are the type of Christians that I'm like, I I can't sit in the room with you. Sorry. Well, it uh, seems I, like I Lutheran the aren't Lutheran the sort of you know quiet, passive aggressive types. Uh, I mean, I, I maybe I'm I generalizing, know. but I thought isn't like a lot of the Lutherans. It's Minnesota. Right, I'm thinking Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin. Then they got all these synods. That's the other thing with re- see. So when I say Jesus, I'm talking about faith. I'm not talking about religion. Religion is you know don't do this don't do, it's a lot of legalism the dogma well it's legalism and it becomes theatrical convention suddenly people are doing things that have more to do with the roboticized nature of it than than doing it organically right um so so with the lutherans not only are they their own sect of christianity they've then become different synods where you have the wisconsin synod the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Oh. And they all have their own rules and feelings about politics and church oh, and really? stuff. That, uh, yeah. Which so synod like, do you come from? Uh, LCMS. That's the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. So you grew up in Missouri? No, I grew up in Michigan. That was just the synod. Once oh. again, see how confusing this shit Not is? Not really. It's, it's, it's a spreads little all over. over the place. It spreads over into um, uh, Michigan. I grew up in Saginaw, Michigan, uh, which is by Flint. And um, I have three siblings, a uh, brother and two sisters. Yeah. And uh, any of them end up in the uh, in the in the racket, the religion my brother, racket. Yeah, my brother is a he's is a, a minister. Minister now, sixth generation. Yeah, someone had to do it. That's what it kind of felt like in a weird way, though. We both <laughs> certainly, you know, fought against it with our behavior and, and stuff. Is he older? Uh, yeah, he's five years older than me, but he's um, you know, he's one of these guys who partied all through college. Was sort of a Belushi type on this small campus in New York, and and he uh, which campus? Uh, Concordia University yeah. of River. No, what is it called? That is small. It's it's white pl- <laughs> white plains or whatever. Yeah, sure. Is that so familiar? That's a place. I don't know. I don't know. Concordia, I don't know Bronxville. Bronxville. Oh, sure. Bronxville. It. Yeah. I feel but like there's another college in Bronxville. Isn't uh, what was that one that used to be a girls' school? Uh, fuck. Go ahead. That's not the name of it. No. No. Fuck oh, that was university. The yeah. F you. Oh, it was a hippie school. Fucking, maybe, I don't think it, I, whatever. <laughs> he was, so. he became a pastor, but he didn't exactly have the route that one would think, you know. So was, is there a sister in between you and him? Yeah, it goes uh, Matt and then Julia is the second oldest, three years above me. Yeah. Myself and then Elise is my younger sister, two years younger than me. So we had four in about seven years. All right, so the older brother, you look up to him when he's partying, doing uh, the business. I I've looked up to him my my entire life. I have because he's he's brilliantly funny and uh, and um, allows allows himself to be like logical. He's not one of these fanatical people who yeah. can't be you know talked into 
things. So when I you're appreciate. so when you're all malleability, grow- malleability, adaptability, or just malleability. Are those synonyms? No, Mark. I had no. a long day. No. I don't no. know. No, malleability means like uh, like oh, he's not malleable. He's not uh, control freak. Doesn't lay a, a a bottom line on you. I don't think so. Yeah. And I think there's humility in that. You yeah, know, it's sure. okay to have hard lines on some. He things, has some acceptance. But... He accepts. He's a tolerant yeah. man. Yeah, and my sisters are just the coolest people ever. They're really darkly funny. Like they'll say stuff, and I'll be like, "That was brilliant." Like, hey, everybody's funny in your family. A lot of funny people, and in different ways, you know. And parents humor funny? Was, my parents were <laughs> funny and sometimes unintentionally funny, obviously. Sure. You know, that Christopher Guest mockumentary character type of funny. Yeah, but like, uh, what, what's the old man like? A, what What is a, a Lutheran minister like? Because it's not fire and brimstone shit, right? I mean, what do you, I mean, growing up with a minister, I mean, it's like psychiatrist kids are usually kind of fucked up, and ministers' kids, a lot of them end up being ministers or just being devils. Yeah, I think I think we had a little, little of both. both. Yeah, <laughs> if, if I'm being honest. Um, so from the get go, yeah. was your mom working in the church? No, she was raising us kids, yeah. and uh, and we were broke as shit. We lived on the street called North Bond Street in Saginaw. We had, and I'll rattle it off quick. We had uh, our house broken into and robbed. Yeah. We had our car broken into and robbed. Yeah. We had a gang take over our backyard and play on our basketball hoop without asking us. Wait, that, so that's that's what gangs do in Saginaw? They're like, we're just going to use the hoop? <laughs> Listen, that would, that so would be the, the best case problem. scenario. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we were surrounded by, you know, there were like drug dealers on our block and gang members and, and like uh, we had a police dog shot in our backyard by a bank robber on Thanksgiving night, like in the mid to late 90s. Like just crazy stuff, dude. It was a weird upbringing where Sunday morning we were singing – joyful joyful and eating donut holes yeah. and then monday through saturday it's like i'm hearing my neighbor kick out her boyfriend at five in the morning and cuss him out you know uh, isn't that great to to sort of be able to eavesdrop on that stuff like i remember my my girlfriend like years ago in somerville lived across from some woman named jennifer and she was always fighting with people on the street yeah who knew her and it was just sort of like a different, like, uh, males and females yelling up, and it was Somerville, Massachusetts. So I was like, Jennifer! <laughs> Fuck you, Jennifer! It just went on and on. Oh, yeah. We had that my whole childhood, dude. Just hearing that shit and just, like, wondering where it's going to end. <laughs> How does it end? But when not it... wanting to get involved because well, of course you're you like, can't. oh, I you can't. can't. Hoping no one gets killed. Yeah. So, that, so it was real chaos, huh? You. And it was just what... what, what why were you in that neighborhood? Was your dad uh, uh, on a mission? Was it? Did he see this as his test? You know what? I think, if anything, we were in an earning bracket where that was a place we could live. But where was his church? We were, near, we, were, we were like a mile and a half from the church, maybe. So it's proximity. You know? Yeah. He had four kids too. It's like right. Four kids on a pastor's salary. You don't. You don't make anything, dude. But it's did terrible. he like? Well, now was it his church? It was or? his church. It was called Bethlehem Lutheran. And uh, it was maybe five or six hundred people on a Sunday, I'm uh-huh. guessing. And that's the school. I went to the school and the church. They were adjacent. And that's where I started doing theater and yeah. plays. And you know, what do you learn as a Lutheran, though? What do you, what do you just like? What's, what's the, what's the punishment situation? Was, <laughs> it's the most Mark Marin thing I've heard ever. <laughs> what is the punishment situation like? It's like you just breathed a, a like a political cartoon or whatever in the news in the funnies. Um, I I think more than anything, 
you are called, uh, you abide by two commandments that cover all ten. Mm. So you got your ten commandments, but you, you're really supposed to abide by the two. Love the Lord your God and love yeah. your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two. Yes, and you have to believe that. I, mean, I think isn't don't murder important? Well, wouldn't wouldn't you be showing love to your neighbor by not murdering? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But what if you don't like the guy? What, what about enemies? And well, men? you know what? That's where you, you relationships create a distance. get difficult. Creating distance isn't a sin. I've done that with many people. Okay, who mistreated me? I created distance, and when I see them, I try to be cool. Yeah, but uh, yeah, detach with love. Yeah, and uh-huh. then be there for them if they actually need it. Versus, hey, can you read my script? I saw that you booked a movie. <laughs> yeah, I see. It's like, I, okay. I see you're in a huge movie. Because you helped me out, pal? You know what I'd rather get asked to do? Honestly, what? I'd rather get asked to move people's furniture. Then like, I'd rather get asked to like help in a real way, not just like, oh, I know, because can like, we all make each other's dreams come true in the next 20 minutes? It's well, yeah, but it's so nebulous worth- when people do that. They don't, And they don't understand that you're not... Like It took me a long time to realize. It took having some success to realize that th- there's really limitations to what you can do for someone else, right? Of course. But they don't know that. They also don't know that you're not where they think you are. Where do they think you are? You they, guys- think, they, think, they think you are Eddie Murphy and they think I am Philip Seymour Hoffman. Right. And neither of us are those people. Yeah, we're doing he- our thing and our thing is great. And we're trying to just hang but- on. But, like, but even if we were those people, what does that mean? Like I'll attach myself to your script? Or like, I, right. I know a friend who can make this tomorrow. Right. Even if we were those people, neither one of those things would necessarily happen. Correct. And it's it's tough, too, when they give you something good. I've been given real good scripts from like three people in the last year and a half. Well, then at like, least you can move it along to somebody. To do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, really? They're yeah. Just I, right got, for I, you? I got this brilliant buddy named Mike Targus who's yeah. like, he, he literally does that task rabbit type thing where he's a... Uh, he's, uh, 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 a handyman. He oh, literally yeah. puts together shelves for people in Bel Air and stuff. Can you get his number day. for me? I need some sconces put up in my bathroom. <laughs> Honestly, I could, and he'd do a killer job. Yeah, just, um, it's not a big job. He, uh, he, but you know, when he's not doing that, he's writing scripts. And he, I produced a short film with him that we shot in Michigan and L.A. We're trying to make it into a feature. I How'd mean, you like know that, this guy? I met him at a Key and Peel taping. I used to do work with Key and Peel. Yeah, and. Uh, and he was a Detroit guy, as they are, yeah. uh, and they studied there. So I kind of met him through them. So back to the two commandments: gotta love your neighbor, gotta love God. Okay, that's what's up. so that's but that's the deal. So you're you're a minister's kid. If you fuck up, what's what what what's uh, what's the old man do? Um, you know, it, I'm trying to think. No what is beating like the, the best. shit out of the children. No, well, that wouldn't be loving your neighbor as yourself. Oh, so okay, he, so he didn't honor beat that. us up, which was cool. Have passive aggressive, um, sort of like, how do you feel about yourself? You know what? He'd give you a stern talking to, and him talking to you felt like you were getting a belt. Oh, yeah. Because he's a pastor, you know. what I mean, emotionally, <laughs> that's a belt. Speaks directly to your heart. Uh, yeah, he your does. And you feel heart. convicted as shit, of yeah. course. Um, I would say more than anything, my dad always impressed upon me, like. You, like, oh, uh, here's a good example. I yeah. was on the basketball team uh, for the sake of inclusion. I was not a good athlete for very obvious reasons. And I um, I had a... For the sake of inclusion, what do you mean? They had you on as a charity case? Yeah, very much so. Yeah. I was like, I was the guy, they're like, I guess you're a power forward. You get to use the word power. You're very powerful. <laughs> I'd like you to powerfully sit on the bench, please. Um, yeah. They, uh, you know, I, I had a thing where I mouthed off to a ref or I kind of acted... Crummy. I was just being a crummy 13-year-old brat, you know, yeah. on the court, right. making a show of something that yeah. didn't matter. Yeah. And my parents blew up at me. I'll never forget being in the kitchen. I had to be young. It was our old house, so I was maybe 12. And they kind of told me, they're like, that's not how you behave. 
you embarrassed us, you embarrassed yourself, and we know we, we have tickets to take you to pro wrestling for your birthday, but they're like, maybe we just won't go. Wow. That's so they're like, like ready to take away my favorite thing in the world. And lay the guilt on pretty heavy. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. like, it's on you now to beat the shit out of yourself till you come to your senses. <laughs> I think I would have done that regardless of my parents. I'm a mess, man. I'm just I'm just starting to get into that good pocket of normal daily self-love and also de-escalating all the stuff I used to, you know, bloviate and cry over and stuff. Really? Yeah, man. So, so, I, I've spent way too much time being mean to myself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and well, then and trying to be really nice to everybody else, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, well that although I back a little well, I guess those devices or those things that were innate in you certainly came to play in this role in Richard Jewell. 100%. 100%. All the characters I've played have a piece of me, whether I like to admit that or not. Um, well, I, I like this. Uh, like Between Jewell and uh, what was the guy's name and I, I, Tanya? Sean Eckhart. There's a sort of um, kind of elevated sense of self. <laughs> that. If you unpack that, that's interesting. Elevated sense of self. Well, yeah, self-importance to both of them. Oh, that, sure, that, a bit that, of a to, mission, right? To, yeah. Well, to everybody else, looks ridiculous. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but well, that to, goes back to that Christopher Guest mockumentary character. But thing. they're very earnest about you know their, yeah. their sense of self, which is inflated and ridiculous. Well, and once again, for the right but, reasons. But, but, Sean Eckhart was never doing it for the right reasons. Right. Richard Jewell was doing it for the that, right That's reasons. right. They're both empathetic characters, oddly. Yes. You know, I mean, which is what made me so excited uh, about this movie. But also when the first time I saw you was in that I Tanya thing and I was like ecstatic about your performance. You gave me a shout out on the Richard Jenkins uh, episode. Uh -huh. and I, me and all my friends like texted each other. We're like, Marin, Marin gave you a shout out. <laughs> it was like Carson asking you to sit, <laughs> sit on the chair. I just thought it was, it was such a, a like an inspired, uh, humane approach to that fucking guy. And then it's it's it was you know it was just there was a lot of humanity to it. It was fun to do, man. and uh, and because he, these guys are they're just they're they, like he was a, a sort of a specific type of confident buffoon. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but, um, but he really I, thought he had an angle on everything. The confidence is just so funny that that with that when that kind of guy breaks down, it's it's some of the best comedy in the world. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's so I I also love there's a moment in I Tiny where I get to shout at Sebastian Stan and I say something like uh, I couldn't no one could ever break me yeah. and then a second later it's the montage of me telling everyone it's like <laughs> uh, that kind of felt like a Walter Sochek like John Goodman Big Lebowski moment of like yeah. you know uh, yeah. you're out of your element Donnie you know, yeah, you get yeah. to, I love I love having even a smidgen <laughs> of that in there it was so fun to play man so well where do you think all this uh, this resource you have of of self-loathing like you know where do you wh where do you track it to are you what are you doing um are you doing more than just jesus to help yourself um i mean i think jesus is, is enough but the good thing is that jesus compels you to do other things that are byproducts which are the things you're uh, alluding to yeah yeah whether it's yoga or whether it's therapy or what have you of course i believe in all that stuff yeah i think i think those are gifts that you're allowed to employ so that you can get past them. Well, but have you been able to track the self-loathing in particular? Why are you so hard on yourself? Why are you so, uh, why, why you, why you let people walk all over you? Um, are you talking to me or the characters I play? Cause I don't let people walk all over me. I've fired people. I've, oh, good. Okay. I've, okay. You passed that test. Why, why, why are you so nice to people? Uh, because I love, I actually love people. Like okay. I love 
I love You fired people. people? Who'd you fire? Um, that's probably not something I want to get real into, but there was just somebody I once fired because even though we were friends, the relationship uh, wasn't like uh, it wasn't like working anymore. Was it? What was the job? I don't. I don't want to get into it. I want to be respectful. <laughs> but was and, it, and the person I fired, I still to this day love them and acknowledge how much impact they had. Was it pre-show business? Um, y- yes and no. It, oh. it, it was pre and then post. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. No. All right, so so you don't let people walk. You stand up for yourself. No, sir. I do stand up for myself. So where's the self-loathing come from? You think it was just the, the nature of your parents' uh, hands-off method of letting you feel guilty and process your problems on your own? or I mean, I think we all got some <clears throat> some some angels and demons, you know, and I think like- You know all I yours? I think there are- I know some. Have I you know talked some. to your demons? Have you sat down with a little them? bit, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, legitimately. Yeah. I mean, I know you're kidding, but I, no, I actually kidding. have, unfortunately. No, I, I, you have to talk um, to them. You have, I, to, you have to tell them you sort of knowledge. Like, well, you have to say like, you know, this not your day. I, I'm going to take it from here. And if we could only say it every day, you I have wish to. I would. <laughs> um, you you're know like, what helps? Okay, is, I see you're here, but uh, you're going to have to sit back down. And it ramped up with with alcohol though, because when uh, I, my demons showed up when I would drink too much. When I have two beers. At a restaurant with a buddy, it's not. I I'm fine. Like, yeah, I, it's cool. But the nights when I would go a little too hard, it was like I was ripping the door off the hinges for my demons to come out. And well, and, and it wasn't even the reason I know it's my demons and not me is because they would say and act in a way that isn't indicative of my actual spirit and who I am. Interesting. So do you have what, what's what, what are your demons' names? Are they the rage demon or the sad demon? Oh, rage, man. Oh, yeah. Sad is a byproduct of the rage. That's sure, just, sure. That's, that's a two-headed yeah, demon, yeah. yeah. Well, the sadness is where it starts, but uh, rage feels better than I crying. Get, uh, I got some I got some rage in me, but it's um, but it's never for other people. It's it's always uh, against myself. But like I said, I genuinely am getting better at that, man. And uh, and it helps to have a good circle of friends. My circle my circle of friends in LA is absurd. I am I don't have time for all the amazing people in my life. Yeah. It's, it's it's absurd how many sweet pick you up from LAX text me and say how can I pray for you today type of people I have in my life. It's weird, man. Wow, you can you know you can take a car from LAX. I can. I just that's my example because oh, back yeah. in the day the yeah, buddy yeah. who would pick yeah, you, pick up, you up, up. That's the guy. That's a big damn deal. Yeah, it's dude. like that's like the guy. It's he's got your, your got your back and numb. And those are the but those are the people who I would have their back and sure. the veritable numb. You know? Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, you go get them at LAX. <laughs> Who do you, who do you have from back in the day? Because I've heard I've heard all the beef about you know the people who weren't there for you by listening to the show. Who was there for you the whole way through? Oh, who were my old friends? Yeah, who like who like freaking would show up and and sit with you at the diner for three hours. Well, I mean, there's been guys who did that. You know, Ryan Singer. Say their names. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Singer was a dude who sat with me. Literally sat with me at at a diner on my fiftieth birthday because I couldn't go to my house. Because uh, I I uh, wanted I was waiting for a woman to move out of it. Oh, that's yeah, that's tough. Yeah, that he was there for me. Uh, my buddy Jerry Stahl is always pretty solid. Uh, we go back a few years, and then they're, they're old old friends, like Jack uh, Bulware up in San Francisco, Sam Lipsight in New York, Jimmy Loftus at uh, a Boston area. These are guys that I go way back with. That uh, John Daniel, that I met. Like I don't. I don't need to call in too many favors, you know, generally, and I'm kind of uh, reserved about asking for help. Sure. But my, my Steve Danziger is another guy who I go back about 10, 15 years with. Uh, so I got guys, Dave oh. Stebbins in Florida. There's some dudes that like that know me pretty deeply and, and I, I can yeah. go to, yeah. You're eliciting some smiles, some good feelings just by saying those names, I'm sure. 
Yeah, some people. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna do it too. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna steal a moment to say. Peter Hins is the guy I moved to Los Angeles with, who's still my best friend. Nice. And just came to the Richard Jewell premiere with me. Uh, my buddy Caleb Wall is a cinematographer who, who's from Oklahoma and is just a sweetheart who is a good friend and makes movies with me. And and uh, and guys like Mike Targus and all these guys, I mentioned him earlier, the handyman. Like These are the types of people. My buddy Tommy Snyder, who like we audition against each other because we're a similar look. Yeah. But like every time we see each other in the audition rooms, it was like hugging it out and let's go get a burger after this. Oh, that's and, you nice. Know, nothing but love. You oh know? yeah. yeah. I, th- I feel like we just did some sort of a church like thing just now. I'm sure we did. We're acknowledging our blessings, man. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. In the form of people. Yeah. So when do you start doing funny shit? I was always a pretty funny kid, and yeah. when I wasn't funny, I was just just loud, yeah, and obnoxious. <laughs> um, I uh, I did like a lot of theater as a kid, and in high school, I did like ten plays in four years, and uh, I got into stand up comedy and screenwriting when I was sixteen, and I did those um, for a very long time. My whole thing was I loved everything, and I didn't know what was going to get me into the business. So you were, I was in, just, you were doing stand up in in Michigan, Michigan, and Chicago and L.A. Really? Um, yeah, I did the store uh, f- several times. I did uh, places like Formosa Cafe and the Meltdown Comics. And were you like a working feature, or were you just? Yeah, hammer- I was doing a bunch of bringer shows and not having a lot of success. I was. I remember well, well, my. That's f- what you mean out here. So let's track yeah. it though. So sixteen, you're 16. doing all the plays in, in in high school. All the plays, getting headshots, trying to find a local At agent. Sixteen. Yeah, or like 17, 18. I, I wrote two features by the time I graduated high school. And still in Saginaw. Yeah. So where are you going to get a local agent in Saginaw? Detroit? Well, yeah, Detroit or even Chicago. Chicago and if you got to make right. the schlep, it's right. worth it because you might get, you know. So you're, you want to be in show business. Oh, yeah. By the time you're 15, 16, you're obs- like, this is it. Obsessed with waiting for Guffman, A Few Good Men, Saturday Night Live. My dream was to go to Tisch School of the Arts, yeah. get on SNL. Oh, wow. Okay. And get repped by Rhonda Price at Gersh. I had this all figured out. I yeah. was like, I'm going <laughs> to yeah. do all these things. Yeah. And then life did not go that way, and SNL didn't care about my writing packets. And, really? You know, well, how did it go? So did you get a Detroit agent or a Chicago agent? Yeah, I had a local agent uh, in Southfield near Detroit. I got one local commercial, not much. But the break happened when I dropped out of college. I was- um, Where did you I go to college? To, Went to Concordia University of Chicago uh, in the River Forest Oak Park neighborhood. Yeah, and I went and uh, and I ended up getting repped by this guy Joel Zadak, who was my manager for like ten and a half years. The guy literally repped me out of obscurity. No well, one... so when you're in Chicago, you're just doing stand up, or you doing improv, you doing the Chicago thing. Yeah, I took like I took classes at uh, the I.O. Theater. Yeah, you know, improv. And, uh, Olympic. I was doing stand up everywhere. Improv yeah. Olympic, Zanies and. The places. Yeah, totally. I auditioned for Last Comic Standing. I auditioned for Jamie Masada, who tore me Ugh, a new asshole and treated me. Fuck him. He told me he was like, "Sorry, I, that's not Christian." I went up to I went. <laughs> it's all right. There's forgiveness, bro. Thank, thank you. I um I went up to his room to get notes, and he looks at me and he goes, "Just come back in three weeks." And that, I was like, I had a horrible day working at a Starbucks in Rosemont. Yeah. Uh, and my buddy Chris Archangeli drove me in the pouring rain to go to this this requested audition. They requested I audition. So someone saw me and thought I was funny. And, At the Laugh Factory. Yeah, and told Jamie or someone underneath him. So I go to the Laugh Factory after a you know 10-hour day at Starbucks. I'm walking in the rain. I show up. I do my set. I, and it's in front of like 13 other comics. I'm like, this isn't even an audience. How am I supposed to kill in front of 13 comics? What was so, your act like? 
Oh, it was a hodgepodge. Very on few un- jokes, couple polished. stories, and a lot of characters like the way Galifianakis would do character bits. I had a bit where I used to get the biggest laugh when I would say, "I'd say, I wish I was Hispanic and a realtor, so that I could start a business called What Up Homes." And like dumb jokes like that got yeah. big laughs. Yeah. And I'd go up and talk to him, and Jamie goes, "Come back in three weeks." I said, hey, "Can you give me notes or anything I should change since I'm coming back?" And he goes. It just it felt like some SNL audition that somebody wrote for you, and I go, okay, well I know that, but how do you get to that? Like, what can I change? And and he goes, ah, just come back in three weeks, and he circles a date on a piece of paper, and I go, okay, and I and then trying to like be a good student, I go, oh, uh, when I come back, I'll, it'll be way better, I promise, or something. Yeah. And he goes, you're full of shit. Wow. And so I walked out and got a 30 rack of beer, got drunk at my buddy's place. What's a 30 rack? Oh, like, you know, the big fat 30 rack of cans of cheap. Yeah, yeah. Basement beer. You Um, got fucked up? Yeah, because I was just so, I was distraught. I was like, this is a, you know, this is, I don't know. I, I just, it was me reaching for a moment and just getting pummeled, which happened a lot, by the way. Well, that's show business coming up, right? Yeah, so many scripts I wrote for people that I developed, and then they, you know, they either unattached themselves after a year. Wait, or they... so wait, you, you, so you're doing the stand up, and you just got this is in Chicago before you even come out here, right? And you're also writing at that time. I'm writing, and this guy Joel Zanuck, movies, uh, m- m- movies and TV. Like I'm doing sketch comedy packets, movies and TV. You're gunning for it, yeah, big time. Yeah, and I'm I'm putting in the work. Yeah, so. This guy, Joel Zadak, who worked at Principato Young, still is there. They changed their name. But he rep me from the age of 20. So he rep me like when I had nothing but two. He signed you in Chicago? No, in Michigan before I even went oh, to Chicago. No shit. I just sent a, my query letter and a bunch of like materials to different companies. And Where'd you learn about all of this query letter business and sending stuff to companies? Immersion, man. This is all I did. I wasn't getting laid in high school. I was like watching Sidney Lumet films and like memorizing the dialogue and A Few Good Men. Yeah. Like I, I, I was popular, but what's I wasn't favorite, cool. Does what's that your make favorite sense? chunk of a dialogue in A Few Good Men? Oh goodness! I actually recorded this uh, for this woman Joy Zapata, who worked with Jack Nicholson for years, and she she sent it to him. Uh, I, I believe the speech goes, and I won't get it perfect, but he goes, uh, "You want answers?" And Cruz says, "I think I'm going to tell that you want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth." Yeah, son, we live in a world that's surrounded by walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You, you, Lieutenant Weinberg. I have a responsibility more important than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Santiago's death, while while uh, tragic and incomprehensible to you, saved lives. You don't want to know the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. We use words like code, honor, loyalty. We use these words as the backbone for a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to argue with the man who rests under the very the blanket of the freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather you just say thank you and bend on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a weapon and stand a post. Either way... I I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. <laughs> but that, I mean, I literally sat in yeah. front of the TV with a tape recorder at 13. And, and she was, sent it to Nicholson? Yeah, yeah. When he He's, was 13? He, um, no, she sent it to him while we were in the hair and makeup trailer on Richard Jewell because Nicholson's a big fan of Rockwell. Oh. So Rockwell, uh, 
uh, he got on the phone with Rockwell. Yeah. Joy gives him the phone and she goes, it's Jack. And Sam just goes, like like a little kid meeting yeah. Santa, you know? Yeah. And Sam leaves the room for a minute and a half, talks to Jack. Jack loved his work on Fosse Verdon, you know? Uh-huh. And then Sam walks back in just like in another dimension, you know? And we start talking about Jack and I tell her how much I loved A Few Good Men. Yeah. And then I memorized that speech. She goes, do it on camera and we'll send it to Jack. <laughs> So I, he probably it was probably it was probably the same reaction of like a parent watching their oh, kid try cute. on their clothes and yeah. walk around or something silly. You're you know? so, that's so talented. You're so talented. Oh, isn't he cute? The wow. button nose. Yeah, All right, no. so this guy signs you, you know, out of it, and he stays with you, and you're stays frustrated. You're writing for everybody. Did you get to audition for SNL? Never got to. I made tapes because I would do celebrity impressions. So like I I could do Norm Macdonald and Rush Limbaugh and Danny DeVito and all these. Oh, let's hear a little Rush. Recently, Michelle Obama was seen eating a meatball sub on a yacht. Um, and my Norm Macdonald was just like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the funny thing about Madonna is is uh, uh she's filthy. And then um, and then Danny DeVito, oh what. Hey, Charlie, I like banging whores. Can you get me some? And, uh, <laughs> and I just did all these different, you know, I did all yeah. these different characters and I had original stuff, but but I never got to truly audition. And that's on me. You know, you have to commit yourself to one of those theaters like Second City or you got to be a regular at the store. You got to have like that big brand of like comedy behind you usually, unless you're one of those viral internet yeah. people. Huh. You know? Yeah, I guess so. It's a different time, huh? Yeah. I like that Rockwell gets excited about Jack Nicholson. I wouldn't. Uh, he's still he's still a, a fan like me, man. I, that'll never go away. God, I'll never be cool. It sucks. I would love to be cool and not get super excited about all that type of stuff. I uh, yeah, I used to more. I, I the, the number of people that I have it with it seems to be coming less because I talk to a lot of them and then they become people and you kind of feel a little weird after they become human to you to keep them on you know some sort of ethereal plane. Sure. You're also becoming one of them because you just did like seven biopics, right? No, I'm just doing one biopic. I haven't shot it yet. No, I was in. A, I played a supporting part, and uh, I'm, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to go do play Jerry Wexler in an Aretha Franklin movie. So it's it's going to be two. But you're slowly, and you don't acknowledge as much because you're, you know, uh, for whatever reason, you tell me, but. But you are like one of those people now. I felt that when I was at the SAG Awards for being nominated for Glow the first yeah. year, like I having interviewed a lot of them, I felt like I, you know, I was there for a real reason. I yeah. did good work, and I don't. I wouldn't say that I'm. I, I would call myself a great actor or anything, but I, I felt like I deserved to be there, eh. and it was exciting. That's and that's fair. I would say you are a great actor, whether whether you are the most diverse actor or not, or I'm the most diverse actor or not. Right, remains to be seen. Sure, we have stuff we still have to do to show that. Well, I but mean, like, but as a, far as our lane, I think we're both great actors, dude. Well, yeah, we can do. We have a wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah, and I. But do do you like? Are you? I saw sort of trust, dude. Oh, that was yeah. I love Lynn Sheldon, man. I do Big too. Big fan of her. She's yeah. killer. Yeah, she's great. She's got a good ticker, I think. I don't know her, but I can tell she's got a good ticker. Yeah, a good heart. Yeah. Oh yeah, she's great. Yeah. We're dating. Oh, so really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. <laughs> oh, that makes. Oh, I love that. Sorry, I, that's all I'll say about. It. As an outsider, though, I love that because I knew she was a great admirer of your work. Yeah, uh, and now she's a we great admirer up, of you, man. We end up together. 
It happened. That makes sense to me. I like that. Yeah, it's it's like been that. great. Yeah, I, and I, uh, yeah, I, she's great, and she does great work. And that was a that was a fun movie, wasn't it? Yeah, that's a special movie. That's um, that's a movie that more people should see in the current age we're in. Like I think it's, so. It's, it's it weirdly echoes a lot of uh, got a lot of heart. Right now. Got a lot of heart. That too. We need more of that, man. I don't yeah. think there's a. I don't think there's enough. Things are getting a little too cynical for my taste um sure and i'm getting trying dark to out turn there. with it yeah getting I don't dark wanna, out there i don't want to turn with it because we all well, that's what's interesting about the jewel movie and maybe we should come back around to it but uh but yeah well in terms of acting like dude but do you find that you're like now that you i mean you carried a movie dude and that's like a big deal i mean that was your fucking movie and that's that's you, you know that's a big thing but do you find you know given that you acknowledge that you have a sort of uh, uh, you, you have a thing that you can do. Is there a part of you that's sort of like, how do I challenge myself next to get out of this wheelhouse that I've gotten comfortable in? Are you? Oh, I'm, I mean, I wouldn't even. I I I have the sort of knowledge of knowing everything I have done. So the people who the people who are just getting wind to yeah, me, right. they only have three references for right, which is right. Black Klansman, I, Tanya, and Richard Jewell. They don't know um, the high school work. but the, <laughs> They don't know what I've done in a bathroom mirror. Yeah. Um, I No, but like I did a show called Kingdom back in the day. I know, day. like a, a bunch of them. Did like 25 episodes of the show. Yeah. Playing opposite Frank Grillo, Matt Loria, John Tucker, all these great guys. Yeah. And I busted my ass and did awesome work on that show. Yeah. Like, if we were on HBO or Showtime, people might have been holding trophies for the stuff we were doing on yeah. that show collectively. I don't know. I, I, but, I, I um, saw it on the resume. I didn't even know what it was. Yeah. It's one of those things where I, I know what my range is, but whether or not people allow me to do it or not remains to be seen. And that's why someone like Lynn Shelton speaks to me, because a movie like Your Sister's Sister was shot in, like, 13 days. Yeah. Rose, Rosemary DeWitt jumped in at the last minute to act for someone yeah. who dropped out. Like, right. I might have to do that someday where, like, if they're just like, hey, can you play every damaged fat guy? I might go, no, instead I'm going to lose 45 pounds, write my own script, and see if Mark Duplass is generous enough to play opposite me. You know, like, <laughs> hey, I might do that someday. He, and, maybe and, he could play the weight you lost. Maybe he could play the voice in my head. Yeah. <laughs> He's the angel. The demon will be played by, like, exactly. uh, yeah. maybe my buddy Yul Vasquez. Right, you lose 45 pounds, and he's the guy that keeps telling you you're still heavy. Yeah, that's ooh, that's dark. That's good. <laughs> How about you act in it? I'll write it, and <laughs> we'll ask Linda to direct it. Yeah? Okay, yeah, we can do that. I, I, I've, I've got connections with her. Good. Oh, that's yeah. right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, can, I can talk to her right now. I could text her even. There's even an outside <laughs> chance that she has texted me since we've been on. Yep, there it is. Yeah. She just said, oh, so I'll, uh, I'll say, uh, she said, hi. I, I'll say, oh I'm, I'm talking <laughs> to a big fan of yours. Oh, I got to shout out my buddy Robbie Peschke, who's a huge uh, WTF fan. Okay. He listens to it and it makes him like, feel What's good. What's his story? Man. He's uh, he's a musician and a uh, college professor in Michigan, and uh, and a dear friend of mine. We we used to write short stories together. He gave me a he turned me on to Raymond Carver, who I now adore. Oh wow! Uh, this dude handed me a Raymond Carver book. It was pretty Said, awesome. Go do it. Say like, do it. This is you, dude. So how do you get to like? When do you decide? And how do you come out to L.A.? 
So I, I dropped out of college because I was uh, Mad TV got canceled, and my manager, Joel, repped all these Mad TV guys. Yeah. And he goes, these guys got nothing to do. You want to write a script for them? Yeah. So I wrote a movie for Key and Peele over the course of a, a year and a half. Wow. And uh, in that time, I dropped out of college. I went back home to Michigan, got a day job, and was saving up money to move to L.A. While there, I find out that this movie with Ed Harris and Jennifer Connelly called Virginia is having auditions to be background extras. So I just go with four of my buddies. It was my buddy Rick and Pete and uh, and where Andrew, they're shooting in Michigan. Kyle. Yeah, we we go down to uh, we go on the the west side of the state by uh, Grand Rapids. Yeah, and we go to this town and we we all audition. We take a it's literally you take a photo, you write down if you can play the saxophone or yo yo or some right. shit, and then uh, and they say we'll call you if we need you for a scene. But as I'm walking out, I see Lance Black, Dustin Lance Black, the guy who won the Oscar for writing Milk. Yeah, with Sean Penn and so. He's the writer, director of the film, and I yeah. go, I'm just going to go congratulate him on his Oscar win. Yeah. So I walked up to him, and I said almost verbatim, I go, hey, I just want to say congrats on the Oscar for Milk. I love the film, and I loved your speech even more when you said God doesn't hate gay people. Yeah. I thought that was so beautiful and necessary for people to hear. So I just want to say thanks and, and congrats. 30 seconds, maybe, 40 seconds, and he, he goes, what's your name? And he writes my name down, and he says, we might bring you back. There might be a part for you. And I'm thinking, well, part sounds like more than a background actor. Right. And I get an audition, and I'm auditioning against, like, 12 other guys from the local area who, like, work at gas stations and pool halls. Yeah. These aren't guys who, like, were watching SNL and Cindy Lament movies and are obsessed. Right. So I show up. I get the screenplay, the full script from Joel uh, back in LA. Yeah. And I've read the script three times and I'm off book and I'm acting like a psycho. And so I, I, I get a call back with one other guy named Jake Heathius, real sweet guy. We go in, we do it. And Lance gave me the part, and I was like number six on the call sheet behind Amy Madigan and Toby Jones and Emma wow. Roberts. And, yeah. And so my first movie was just because I talked to the filmmaker and said something genuine, and uh, and I, I made like 12 grand and moved to L.A. like a month later. Nice story. It was crazy. Yeah. It's still crazy. I still text him once a year just like, thank you for giving me my break. You didn't have to do that. That's Thank you that's so a, much. That's a that's a great turn of events. It's nuts. So you come out here and then ha- LA. and then what happens? Dicked around, had a year where I booked a lot of stuff and no I thought more I was stand up. No, I was doing stand up this whole time. I was yeah. doing the belly room and uh and I was doing different bars and stuff and um actually I used to watch you in the main room. Yeah. I would I would sneak in because uh, I wouldn't pay to watch the other comedy because I'm like, well, I already performed. Yeah, just sneak so just, in the back door there. Yeah, yeah. and I, I would watch guys like you, and I got to watch Chris Tucker once. I fell in love with Brody Stevens. I would yeah. go in the OG room and watch Brody and uh, 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 that whole group of guys I just have such affection for because they were always on the same lineups together, you know? Yeah. It felt like they were their own show or Brody something. and who? Brody like and- Barris? Uh, I'm trying to think of- I know Barris a little bit because he's from Saginaw, my hometown. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, by the way, I definitely, this isn't Christian. I got into the comedy store one time where I just I just walked up to the door in the OG room. In the original the, room? The OR? Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, sorry, yeah. Yeah. And I walk up to the room with my buddy Dave Sorrentino, this musician buddy yeah. of mine. He goes, uh, he goes uh, how much are tickets? Because we're both broke, you know? It was like 2015 or something. And, uh, and I go, I got this. And I walk up to the guy at the ticket booth and I go- uh, Don, Don told me to drop by. He said he'd get me in. He goes, Don Barris. I go, yeah, we're both from Saginaw. I was at Kimmel the other night. Yeah. He told me to come by. So he's like looking at me really skeptical. 
By the way, he did say that, but he said that to an audience of people that were at the Jimmy Kimmel Live show. Right. <laughs> uh, but I said it as if he was telling me personally. Yeah. So he he has this big begrudging moment of like not wanting to let me in. Yeah. And he, he eventually lets me in. We're front row watching Joe Rogan and all these guys. Yeah, yeah. Their asses off. Oh, that's funny. I do the stand-up stuff. I leave for two years because I run out of money. 2011, I just, I couldn't get a job. By the way, I applied to 60 jobs in Hollywood. I couldn't get a job serving sub sandwiches at Subway. But I was doing a guest star on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Huh. So like there was a weird imbalance of not knowing. So you were actually getting little here. gigs, but you didn't, uh, not yeah. enough to sustain. Not enough, a month or two at a time, and then it wasn't enough. And I left for two years. Went back to my hometown of Saginaw. Worked at a bowling alley and a butcher shop. Oh my god! After being on TV, on TV, and people were coming up to me going, "Hey, I uh, I saw you on It's Always Sunny. What do you? Why are you giving me my bowling shoes?" Oh my god! And uh, and well, it was, did you tr- did you I feel so like depressed. you needed to punish yourself? Oh yeah, I was getting I was getting stoned like four or five days a week. I was eat, overeating, well, like eating to excess. I was just self hatred. Well, what do you bit. make of that though? What do you really? You you really thought you had no choice but to come home after you're working? I didn't have any friends out here. I'd only been here a year. I booked like five jobs in a year. But you went back and got a job at a bowling alley? And Yeah, and like a, a grocery mart, butcher But you shop. don't feel that that was self-sabotage on some level? What, no, not at all. I didn't have anywhere to stay. I didn't know. Oh, like, really? I was sleeping okay. on someone's floor at the so time. So you had no resources. My and... buddy Matt Ryan is like, you can sleep on my floor for a couple weeks. And I'm like, this isn't sustainable. Like so you really just were broke and you didn't have connections with Legit. Anyone. And I was young and dumb and I needed to be humbled. I needed to learn some real shit. What did you uh, learn working at the bowling alley, getting high and eating? I learned that that's not the right route. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, uh, it's, I think we all have that, that moment. Um, but, uh, but eventually my brother-in-law, Joe, he, he lent me 600 bucks and said, move to Chicago, get back into your comedy scene and work a job there. So I got a 40 hour a week job at Starbucks. I had an hour and a half commute in the morning and at night to get to Rosemont from, you know, Logan Square or wherever I was staying. No shit. It's crazy. But I took classes and the summer I took classes at IO, um, like two of the women there, Vanessa Bayer and Cecily Strong got SNL yeah, in the yeah. fall. Right. So it was very inspiring where I was like, holy, the woman who sold me my tickets two months ago is on SNL, you know? So that's crazy. So and you, I made you, it back to LA. You're, you're, but you were doing you, you in in terms of a trajectory towards success. You were on it, but you just you just didn't have enough of a network of people to sustain you and life skills. I was still very immature and uh, and not the dude I am now. And you, you were what, what boozy and fucked up. Oh, just like it was just like me and my buddy Peter ends like like slamming cans of beer and walking around Hollywood like yelling at people in line. Uh, trying to get into clubs and stuff like we were just idiots, yeah. the Midwest Neanderthals. You know, yeah. we didn't know we didn't have life skills. Oh, um, yeah. And so we paid the price for that. I definitely did. So but, you, uh, you paid, you did your penance in a bowling alley, <laughs> and then a Starbucks. I got gout working at the bowling alley. How do you get gout? Why are they connected? No, I was in. <laughs> they're connected based on behavior. <laughs> yeah. I was eating like hot dogs and nachos and pizza and beer every night working at the bowling alley. Yeah. And uh, I just had this absurd Ugh. appetite for garbage, and and I contracted gout when I was twenty five, and now that? it's under control. But back, like I couldn't walk for weeks. Well, that's like uric acid in your feet. That's exactly what that is. It builds up and crystallizes in your bones. And oh, you're a it's year old. fucking terrible! It sucks, man. 
So okay, so you did, and then you did time. You're I did survived, some time. Got back. Starbucks, Jan- Siberia. Jan- Six hundred bucks. <laughs> I talk about it like I was in a war. Yeah, I was yeah. slinging it's a hard lots. Story, of, man. Uh, twenty January twenty thirteen. I moved back to L.A. Yeah, and I've been back ever since. Worked. Uh, oh, I worked the door at Flappers in Burbank. That was a big deal for me. Doing stand up because they would let me flap- get on stage. Right. Right. And you know there were nights where I'd be doing a set, and Bill Burr, or Damon Wayans, or someone drops in. Sure, and like you get to watch it's a big moment. Yeah, you know, for me it was. So that's what you were doing, working the door flappers. Yeah, bring, you know, doing bringer they shows. Treated me well too. I was kind of still like trying to get my shit together, and they were like, you know, I remember I had a panic attack while working one time because it was tough for me because I wanted to be where those comics were. Yeah, and they're all killing it, and I'm working the door, and nobody knows all the work I've I put did. In. It was a doorman. No, I look back and I'm finally now, but in the moment, there were times yeah. where I was like, fuck, man, I felt how, like crap. Well, yeah, how could they not be looking down at me? How could they like, I'm just- Some like, of them did. I remember who they were too. I won't say their names, but there are people who treated me really well. Yeah. And there are people who did not. And, uh, and, and what do you do with that information? Out. I try to humanize them and treat them well when I see them, but I'm, I'm not like outwardly trying to right. kick it with them. Do you pray for them? Absolutely. I pray for you all the time, man. You do? You're on my prayer list. You've been oh. on there for like three years. Oh, thank you. I think it's working out. I think maybe you're the reason. I doubt. I doubt I'll take. I'm not taking credit for that one. But uh, <laughs> but I, I pray for people that when I see something in them and I, I want them to succeed because you're you in the past more so. You're better at it now. But like there were times where I've heard you be really like darkly self-deprecating. In my head, I'm like, God, I love Mark. I hope Mark loves Mark. I'm getting there. Sounds um, like you are too. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But once again, surrounding yourself with people like Lynn, me surrounding myself with the buddies I mentioned—that's that's, that's kind of healing, right? Well, yeah, and also like I, I, you know, sadly, but I think honestly, I think having some success helps. It definitely does. <laughs> then you have new problems or different. Well, problems. no, but I mean, yeah. just with the self-esteem issue, like you know, you commit yeah. your life to something, and it's a long road, and when something happens, when you you find success in it, and in you. It's undeniable that you earned it. It's hard not to be like I. I worked on you know. I worked hard and I deserve this. And you, you know, and it does feel good, right? You know, and those it, nights like the SAG Awards. Those I was there the night you were uh, nominated for. I was there for Itania. Yeah, that was. I remember that night being so magical, man. It's a great night. Everyone's walking around, but on commercial breaks, talking to each other, and they're giddy to meet each other. Yeah, like, because it's like it's the community. It's not the agents. I saw De Niro sitting alone. No one was bothering him. Yeah. Which is probably a rarity for him, so I effed it up. But I walked up to De Niro and just said, "Hey, I just want to say hello. My name's Paul Hauser. I'm a huge fan of uh, your work. King of Comedy is one of my favorites." And yeah. He shook his hand. He did the yeah, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 that thing. Uh, but uh, I had a cool moment with um, Bradley Whitford walked by me, and I just said to him, "I go, I go, Billy Madison," and he goes, "Hey, man." And walks away like very, but I, I vowed that every time I run into him from here yeah. on out, I'm going to say Madison. Billy Madison. He's always good. Screw for, you! That movie's amazing. He's always good for a moment. That Bradley Woodford. He's all right. He's, he's a funny guy. He's prickly. I like. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I yeah. like his work, but I wonder if I think he would hate me. But we'd probably have fun working together. So, all right, so you come back after Siberia and Starbucks, and you <laughs> and you're doing uh, no, stand up. You're at Flappers. I was, yeah, I was doing stand up working at Flappers. Uh, I worked at. I worked at uh, Five Guys, the burger joint in Studio City. I was still just kind of schlepping and moving and doing my thing, and then I did that show Kingdom, which- For like two or three years, right? Yeah, and if, I mean, season one, I got to tell you, season one, I was I was on as a co-star. Okay, so this is actually a great story. Yeah. I was living in a f- two-bedroom apartment with four or five people 
in the spring of 2014. What part of town? Say Koreatown? Uh, North Hollywood. Okay, North Hollywood, yeah. Koreatown would have been better than where we were living. Um, I, I am living with these people, broke, really unhappy. I'm working at Five Guys at the time, and I'm making like eight bucks an hour busting my ass. I mean, those people like work really hard. They're scrubbing down like fryers and then cleaning bathrooms and taking the trash out and then having to work deal with customers. And yeah. by the way, a ton of the customers were in the industry. Yeah. So then I'm like once again feeling small in the oh. presence. So and it's everywhere. You look outside, there's a million billboards telling you you're not in something. Yeah, yeah. So it's just that guy. It was tough. Yeah. And and I because you had tasted it. You had it. And I already tasted it. I yeah. had worked with DeVito. I had worked with Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. So I, crying in the bathroom one morning, I sat on the floor of my bathroom crying, and I said to God, I go, if you want me to be a preacher or a teacher or a missionary, yeah. whatever you want to do, just Holy Spirit, lead me there. I'll do it. If you want me to leave Hollywood, I will do it. This is me saying I will yeah. move out of this because I have so much in me, and it's, I said the word, uh, it's dying on the vine, I said. Those are the words yeah. I remember saying to God. I walk out. I pass my roommate, Chloe Lanier, this soap opera, uh, ex- amazing, extravagant actress who's now killing it. Um, she she looks at me and she goes, good luck on your audition. And I go, I'm not going to book it. And she goes, just because you said that, you probably will. And I go into the audition and I go in to read for this role of this bully in the show. And they go, oh, we thought you were reading for the guy who gets bullied. And I go, they told me I was reading for this other guy. They go, would you like to read the sides for this other character, the victim? So I go out and I read it for like 40 minutes. I come back in 40 minutes later and I just bring everything from the bathroom into the casting room <laughs> and I cry and I like throw stuff and I like, I emptied everything in my bag and put it around the room as props of stuff to throw. So I wasn't throwing their stuff. Yeah. And after the scene was done, they looked at me just like, like eyes wide, like, holy cow. And, uh, and as I was moving into a new apartment, like a week later, I found out I got the show and it was supposed to be two episodes. I had all of eight, nine lines. Yeah. But I showed up and I'm like, well, how did I get the part? By being a psycho and doing a bunch of work. So I showed up to set and gave a whole backstory of having PTSD and being on the autism spectrum. And I was like punching myself in the femur, yeah. giving myself Charlie horses and flicking my ear and doing all this weird actor stuff to get into the character. And I was improvising. So like- after the first two episodes, the writers and producers were like, we're going to keep writing you into the show. Yeah. So that first season, I did seven episodes at like $1,200 an episode, but I'm doing monologues and I'm like killing people and I'm like pulling my pants down, showing my bare ass on TV Yeah. for $1,200 an episode. Right. And then eventually my manager, or now manager, he was my agent at the time, this guy, Brian, he goes, if you're bringing this guy back, you got to actually pay him. And so he re-upped and got me a much bigger paycheck and I was able to quit my day job. And this March will be five years I've been acting without a day job. Yeah, now you're in a huge fucking movie. The Crazy. second huge fucking movie. Crazy. So so that you were you were gainfully employed for a few years on that show. Yeah, it was getting me by, yeah. And then you did, you know, uh, some uh, a couple other smaller movies. Yeah, did some indie stuff and then and then uh I believe I, I did Super Troopers, NBC Superstore, and this pilot back to back in the fall of 2016. So that was the best I had ever done. I was like in a after of, after the end of uh, the, after the end of Kingdom, it was yeah. kind of coming to an end. And um, while I was shooting this pilot in Vancouver with Civil Shepherd, no, that was me just doing a bit. Oh. I didn't work with Civil Shepherd. Yeah. I uh, I was working with all these amazing people. This guy Jake Robinson, this girl Chelsea Gilligan, people that like. 
like we said with those friends that are there for you, those kind of people. Yeah. So I'm thinking, oh, if I got to work with these people for the rest of my life on this show and it's a hit, yeah. I got it made because I'm surrounded by people that are dope. Yeah. And then while I'm there, I get the audition for Itanya, and I immediately say to my reps, I go, I'm not going to get this. Are you going to give this to Jonah Hill or Josh Gad or somebody? Yeah. And they're like, go in for it. It's a lot of amazing people are involved. Try it out. And I, and I, I think it was 13 pages I had to memorize, and I went in and just gave everything I possibly had. And yeah. Getting that part was kind of what kicked open the door. Yeah. And then Black Klansman happened, and then Late Night, I did a movie with Emma Thompson and John Lithgow called Late Night. Right. And, uh, and a bunch Kaling. of people. Yeah, Mindy Kaling, who's yeah. freaking the best. But this this movie is like, this is your movie, pal, Richard Jewell. It's hard to believe, yeah. It's, it's a very odd, you know, he's made some interesting choices over the last few years, Clint Eastwood, in terms of, like, you know, why, does, why this guy? Why this movie? Why this, Yeah. And uh, heroic stories, kind of right. Heroics, well, Sully, American Sniper and Sully, yeah. But American Sniper is a difficult movie, it's a difficult character, it's a morally yeah. tricky movie. Oh, yeah. And I think, I think you that's know, unlike, yeah, and unlike Sully, you know, Sully was okay, but I liked American Sniper. Uh, a lot of people, I think, had problems with it, but I liked it. And you know, and his politics are a little peculiar, a little libertarian, a little you, you know. But sure. But uh, but you know, so why Richard Jewell? You know, and I ta- I don't know what the criticism is, uh, has been. I haven't read any. I, I, I don't really, I don't read a, a lot of that stuff. But uh, my impression was of the film. Obviously, a critique of the media. Obviously, a critique of authority. Obviously, a critique of uh, of politics to a g- degree. But ultimately, a, a human story about a guy who got you know railroaded. You know, yes. and, and and but a guy who you know just because he was quirky and passionate and 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 sort of obsessed with the thing and, and sort of self a little delusional, you know, became a suspect. Very much so, and also you know something I've been talking about on the the um, press tour has been he had a a blind respect for authority and was sort of tribalistic, and it hurt him. Yeah, and uh, I think all the groups whether tribalistic how tribalistic in like believing that this group could do no wrong and then even when they oh, did law wrong, enforcement yeah, yeah. I, tribalism pisses me off so much yeah. i despise it and i think our we're living in a divisionary culture where we're so divided because of tribalism yeah oh for sure but you know like but i thought it's really about a story you know about a guy you, you know who was you know, not fragile but but you, you know it's it's sort of like the victim of bullying in a weird way very much so. You, you know, uh, in, in a very big way. Maybe and, a coming-of-age story, actually, because there's that moment of, like, loss of innocence or, a lot, like, at some point Santa some Claus isn't real. The FBI isn't real, you know? like Yeah, the, but also, you know, you definitely so, had a... Well, I don't want to ruin anything for anybody because I'm not sure when we're putting this up, but I'm sure it's, like, the weekend it comes out. But, but I just, like, how do you approach something where, you know... What was the audition process like for that? Didn't audition. Okay, they, he wanted you. I just got a call while I was in Thailand doing the Spike Lee thing, yeah. and they said Clint wants you for this movie, and uh, and I was like, "Are you sure?" <laughs> yeah. Um, and and they said, you know, uh, he's convinced based off some footage from Kingdom, Itania, and Black Klansman, he thinks you're the guy, and it, just the fact that you look like the son of a gun. Yeah. So I was like, okay, and I, at the time I had a TV deal in place to do a, a mini series. And so I was like, is the movie happening? Is this an offer? They're like, it's not an offer. It's a verbal offer. 
Clint has to get the movie from Disney because Disney bought Fox and Clint works at Warner Brothers. Uh-huh. So I'm like, a couple days go by and the people on the miniseries are like, are you doing this show? we got to close your deal. And I'm like, well, I can't do both because if Clint happens. Yeah. So I passed on the most money I've ever been offered in my entire life um, at the verbal offer from Clint's producer over the phone. Huh. And then three weeks later, I was on the Warner Brothers lot meeting Clint, and he's like, give it some time. We're, we're just figuring a few things out, but it's it's going to happen. And I was like, okay. Okay, Mr. Eastwood. Cool, dude. <laughs> yeah. I would have turned down a job just to meet you, theoretically. So <laughs> this is cool regardless. It already paid off. Yeah, man. And was it daunting to, like, because I don't know how you commit, you know, how you stay in the, in the, in the, in, you know, how, what, what kind of work did you do to, to, to lock into that thing? It's your movie, dude. You're in every scene of the fucking movie. Yeah, it was terrifying, dude. It was like the whole time I'm like, and also, like, I just don't know how everyone feels when that happens. You know, they respect and trust Clint, but there's no way I was. Eh, but I hear he works very choice. quickly, and he's not going to give you a lot of direction. You know, he. Oh, picked that was you for the scary part too. He was like, you know, everyone's like, you're going to get one or two takes at most. So my whole thing was just commitment of like, there's a certain type of acting that I fight to do, and I don't get, I don't perfect it. But I have done it a couple times really well. And the type of acting is where you do things that you know are making you look funny or weird or ugly or strange. Or they're just, they're things you wouldn't like people seeing you do, you know? Yeah. Picking your nose would be the, the, right. the lazy version of that. Yeah. So when I approach a character like Sean Eckhart or Richard Jewell, it's like, I'm going to do every take, I'm going to do the version that is so not self-aware. That is just so ingrained in as much of what I deem to be reality as possible that um, that I get a little lost and I might not remember what I did in the take, which happens to me all the time. Yeah. Where I'll do it and Rockwell will be giggling and he's like, uh, I love that, that line you had. And I'm like, uh, what? I don't know what I said. Yeah. Because you're just kind of in it. And and the way I grew up- was improvising? A ton. Oh, really? A ton. There's stuff in the movie that we just made up on the in the moment. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but the way my siblings and I grew up is we did characters all the time with great commitment to make each other laugh. We'd impersonate our teachers and principals, even our parents, to yeah. each other in secret. Mm-hmm. And it was all about the commitment and the and the idiosyncrasies, right? Right. So when I go to play a character in a drama, it's no different than me doing the SNL character I did in 2012 trying to make a tape. Well, it's interesting because- It's the same thing. Yeah. It's also interesting that I noticed that- like in another movie, this guy would have been a comic character, but like in this movie, you know, he's just sort of like I said before, he's 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 the only guy that's not doesn't see himself in the way that everyone else does, right? And yeah, uh, because totally. he's locked into it, but but like because Itania was shot with this with a comedy lens a bit, certainly. Uh, there was more intentionality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is not this guy's not a comic character. He's an empathetic character, and he's like almost like annoying that you know the the balance between you know being empathetic you know and not, you, obviously it's historically been you know it's a, it's of a, yeah. a fact that he didn't do it so you right. know that going in but you're still engaged in the story and and you know and what would make him a suspect are the things where you what are the like, contextual you know clues yeah, and things that fucking you know like i i could get choked up thinking about you know that moment you, where you, I don't even want. To, I'm not going to place it in the movie, so people, I don't want to spoil anything. Sure. But when you're in that in that booth at that restaurant with oh, Sam, yeah, yeah. and you get that information, you know how you played that. 
you know, w- with the emotions and the food and the, you know, I mean, Donut, yeah. dude, that was fucking crazy. Thanks, man. That means, yeah, that means the world to me. That I mean, means, so much yeah. was being said there. Even even Sam, the way like he reacted to it when he comes over, like it was so genuine, you know, that that yeah. character, given you know how wrought he was and who he is inside, and I could see that, you know, in order in order for you to do that, you would have had to have some distance from that part of yourself that lived in that, because that was something that you know seemed familiar to you. Yeah, I think it was. Um, yeah, it's around also, food and feelings and being yes, hard on yourself. One hundred percent. And I knew I wanted to cry while eating the donut because I've done some version of that in my life. <laughs> genuinely, um, I also think you know, it's that feeling of am I really safe? There's kind of that bit of him being like, "Is this really real?" You know. Yeah, we well, let's not give too much away. But but you know, it's. Uh, I feel like that with this right now. There was. Um, I got listen. I was in London with my parents doing this Disney movie, yeah. and I walk out of a movie theater. I turn my phone on because I'm leaving the movie, yeah. and the first thing that pops up is an email from my publicist, and they go, "You're booked for Mark Maron's WTF." <laughs> yeah. And um, and I kind of read it, and you know, a microcosm of that scene, I kind of laugh a little and kind of yeah. smirk, and then I look at it, and it resonates with me that this is someone. I pray for who I'm a fan of. I watch his stuff, and I've been listening to his show for forever. Yeah, and oh, sorry. And uh, you know, now I get to you know talk to him. It's um, it's it's just it's one of those things where uh, you're you're you can't believe how. Uh, sort of in in the moment for Richard Jewell, it's relief for yeah. me. It's it's just like. Uh, like I already, I already got the free car. I, why is it a? Why is it a? I already got a free watch. Why is it a Rolex? You know right. what I mean. So like getting to, <laughs> getting to work with Clint Eastwood, getting to talk to you, getting to, you know, visit Saturday Night Live or something like these are the things that, that I have to take moments where I just kind of thank God and might have to walk out of the room because it overwhelms me. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, sure. Well, that's um, well, that's it's yeah. it's a very. If anything that you can get from a, you know, a life of faith, the ability to experience gratitude is important. For sure, yeah. And you know, and it sounds like that's what you're you're that's what you're doing. Yeah, and um, and I mean, if you if you have a those that those that have like a weird intimate relationship with God, where you kind of put a lot into it the way you would like a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a husband yeah. or wife. God does things where there are things that align that that are a little too like someone's writing your story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's happened to me a few times where I've um where I've just been overwhelmed by the culmination and the fact that I can map things that if I told you in length how they happened, yeah, they'd be hard to believe because they're a little too well, I think that your journey and 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 sort of like you know your desire to well, it sounds to me that d- despite whatever you know issues you've had with yourself and how you treat yourself, that you you know you've always treated other people with a certain amount of respect and kindness, and I think that goes a long way. I try to, man. Hmm. I try to. Yeah. yeah. I just try. I just try to remember that we're all man. We're we're all broken, and that's the other thing is I'm I'm. I'm not going to preach religion to people, but I will. I will give love, and hopefully that has some impact on people. Sure, and compassion's um, tough, dude. It can be tough, and you can't let the world harden you, you know. And oh. especially if you know, 
if if something happened where this all went away tomorrow, you know, like something happened, I I would then look at it from a perspective of you got to believe life goes on too. You know, this is yeah. kind of this is all kind of fragile. Is what I'm trying to get at. I guess is like I'm enjoying the moment. It's meant a lot to me. I'm trying not to cry when I do every interview. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I, but uh, I had that problem too. There was a it was a period there where like you know when the podcast sort of put me on the map where i'd, I'd go speak at things and i couldn't i was just crying tracy Letts said that he he said he cries when he hears his own voice sometimes yeah. like when he's speaking in public and stuff yeah so i mean it's i don't know i i guess at the end of the day um you know if if the movie gets nominated for an award or it makes a lot of money or you know that's all all well and good but at the end of the day moments like this last night i was dancing with Sam Rockwell at his after party yeah, yeah. at the Gotham Awards. Oh, nice! Those moments mean more than anything, man. Yeah, I, well, like that... those like getting to dance with one of my heroes and be silly and have drinks with him and you know Olivia Wilde and those folks. Like that's those those memories mean mean a lot to me. It's great, man, and and I'm certainly honored that you came. And I and I it was a great talk. I didn't know what to expect, and I'm glad that it it meant so much to you because I think it was a great conversation that we're having. And also, I think this is just a beginning, pal. I really think that, uh, like I I think you did an Oscar worthy performance. I think you really did something. Thanks, yeah, it's, it's really it was really something else that 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 movie. You, uh, yeah, this is an honor. You and Colbert are like, uh, are like my Carson and Letterman. Man. Have you done those Colbert? Are, those are the guys I want to do. No, not yet. I, I'm sure I will someday, but you're going to do it. Are, You'll do it for this movie. Those are the guys that you, you and Colbert are the guys that I'm like, ah, yeah, I could disagree with you and I'd still be lapping it up. So Good. thank you for what you give to the sure. world. So one, so one down, buddy. One down, one to go. <laughs> Hosting SNL is, is maybe the other one if there was one. I wonder if that's like someday. I think it's going to happen. Yeah, someday if it's the right. I think if there's enough uh, steam behind something, I think that I think maybe they like this to bring movie, on, maybe the next one. Yeah, I think they like to bring on people when they have a real steamy moment where there's a lot of hype. You know? Yeah, yeah. So whatever that'll be, uh, what, that that might be the the. Oh, that would be great. Oh man, Chris Farley was one of my heroes growing up. Um, yeah. So uh, so I would love to go on there and just bring some of that physical humor and just break through walls and tables and stuff. I would go all out, man. Oh, well, go all I, I out. hope it happens, buddy. We'll see. Thanks, All man. right, God bless you, dude. Nice guy, good story, and uh, he prays for me, which I appreciate. I actually do. Uh, the film Richard Jewell opens nationwide tomorrow, uh, December 13th. And uh, Paul's amazing in it, and the film is very good. I enjoyed it. Now, I will play the blues for you.
Boomer lives.